1: Welcome to The Daily Face-Off Show, your everyday source for the latest news with top-notch insight and analysis,
0: live every weekday at noon Eastern.
2: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Daily Face-Off Show. It is Thursday, April 21st, 2022. I am joined by our NHL analyst, Mike McKenna. And Mike, this is normally the part of the show where I'm going to make some small talk, ask how you're doing, but I know right now you're a dog on a leash. I want to let you off. We're going to put two minutes and 30 seconds on the clock right away because we've got to talk about Robin Laner. I saw your tweets last night. I know you're hot about it. So we're going to dive in here, okay? Vegas wins 3-2 in overtime. Robin Laner pulled. After the first period, he allows one goal on 13 shots and 923 save percentage. And Pete DeBoer, he talks to the reporter, Jesse Granger from The Athletic after the game, he claims that Robin Lehner was healthy. They pay him to start these kinds of games. The team was rattled. To me, it doesn't make sense. Washington scores 6-18 into the game. Vegas ties the game seven minutes later. How is this team rattled at the intermission? So I want to turn the floor finally over to you, Mike. Tell me what's going on here. Something's fishy, right?
0: Well, I'm just surprised. Like, I've never seen a goalie pulled after allowing one goal in the first period in a tie game and facing 13 shots. That's never happened before to me. I've never seen it close as it came. I think was when I was playing in uh, Omaha in the American league. I remember Curtis McElhaney allowed two goals, one in the first and one in the second pretty quickly. And I got thrown in uh, by Ryan McGill, who ironically is the assistant coach of the golden Knights. Now, Um, this was just odd. Okay. And I know that the, like last night, the first goal did not look good on Robin Leonard. It's a screenshot, goes underneath his pads, and he's looking around, and it was not a confidence moment for that club. But my question is, why did DeBoer even start him? If he already had doubts about him and was looking to pull him this quickly, like, what was anything said between the, I'd want to know what it was said between in the locker room to Robin in between the periods. I, I can't imagine the reaction from my perspective if I would have been the goalie pulled if I was in Robin's shoes there, that would have just blown me away, especially coming back after you know losing to New Jersey just recently and allowing a tough goal or two. Bert, and DeBoer said, hey, I wanted to give him a chance to basically redeem himself. Well, I don't think Robin had that chance. I think it was one goal and that was it. So I'm not really sure what happened here, Matt, uh, but it's odd. Logan Thompson came in and did a great job. The Golden Knights ended up getting a win. I mean, DeBoer, by all means, looks like it was a, a good decision in that terms of giving some juice to his club. It just surprised me, man. I haven't seen anything like it before.
2: It's so bizarre and it just doesn't add up because it's not like Vegas was, you know, trailing by several goals and they were visibly rattled. And I wonder too, if this is a case of sort of selling out to try and win now, but you're going to hurt yourself later going into the playoffs. After this incident, if you're Robin Lehner and you give up one goal in the first period, let's say you make the playoffs, it's game one. You give up one goal on 10 shots in the first. Are you looking over your shoulder thinking about getting pulled?
0: I don't, man, I don't even know where it goes from here. Like honestly, if i'm if I'm Robin Leonard, I'm probably burning up inside that I was supposedly given a chance and then not allowed to finish it out. So I don't know where it goes, man. Thompson's played really well. Leonard's it had a tough time coming back from injury all year, but it's had flashes that were good. If they're paying Leonard to win these games, but they're going to Thompson, I, I don't know where this goes, man. This is just a lot of drama really close to the end of the season, and Vegas still needs to win some games to make the Stanley Cup playoffs.
2: That's right. And it wasn't the only piece of drama that unfolded in that same game. There's some more positive drama. Alex Ovechkin scores goal number 49 and 50 on the season. That is his ninth 50-goal season of his career. It matches Wayne Gretzky. It matches Mike Bossy for the most all time. So, Mike, I want to offer you a hot take and see what you think. My hot take is Ovechkin, he's got the record, now tied the record for 50-goal seasons. He has the, the record for the most times leading the league in goals already. And I wonder if he stopped playing right now, if he never catches Wayne Gretzky, is he already the number one goal scorer of all time? I think he is. When you factor in the work stoppages of his career, he would have been a rookie in 4 5 misses that entire season, 82 games, 48-game season in 2012-13, COVID-shortened season 2019-20, 56-game season last year. I do the math. That's probably roughly 150 games missed in his career. If he even averaged 40 goals, Per, per season during or per game right 40 goal season 40 goal pace over that 150 games he'd be probably 850 goals something like that so does he even need to catch gretzky to be the goal scoring goat fair or foul no
0: no i think that's fair i mean to me for a lot of years i thought and it's funny because i never saw mike bossy play who just recently left us um I thought he was the greatest goal scorer of all time when I looked at his his consistency over a 10-year span. Like the guy was just 50-plus goals, 9 out of 10 years – so consistent made it happen Uh, but it's been the longevity of Ovechkin's career now we're talking a long time that he's been able to put up these numbers he hasn't been hurt and I think he can keep doing it into the future like he will catch Gretzky he's got four more years under contract he's not slowing down and even over the next three years of his deal he's got Backstrom Kuznetsov Oshie and Carlson they're all under contract for that as well so the top power play unit is there uh, for Ovechkin to rely on I think he will be uh, you know and I don't even think Gretzky is the greatest goal scorer I think it was really you look at Bossy and then you look at even Brett Hulls in that mix. You know, they're up there with Ovechkin. So we're also going to see Matthews down the road. And I think that's the really interesting thing, Matt.
2: For sure. And and I'm the biggest Gretzky defender of all time. You'll never find a bigger one, I I think. Maybe Janet Gretzky. I'm not sure. But to me, he's the most dominant team sport athlete who ever lived. But to me, if you look at the goals per game right now, NHL 6.26 goals per game. It's the highest in 25 plus years. And Wayne Gretzky played in 16 seasons with a higher league average than this one. This is the highest Obi's ever had in his career. Mike Bossy, all 10 seasons of his career, had a higher goals per game in the NHL. So Obi's doing it in a much lower scoring era. The fact that he's even close Mm -hmm. to Gretzky or creeping up is a testament to just how good he is. It's unbelievable. So it was a busy night in the NHL last night. Another very important clash in the Western Conference. The Edmonton Oilers take down the Dallas Stars, 5-2 at home. Conor McDavid, we knew he was going to find a way to leapfrog Jonathan Uberdeau. He gets competitive with those point totals at this time of year. He gets three points. And the Oilers, they improved to 22, 8-3 under Jay Woodcroft, 11-0-1 in their past 12 at home. I do wonder if this team is sort of being slept on as not a contender, but someone that... Maybe could make a little bit of noise in the West if they get the right draw. Maybe the LA Kings who are sort of hanging on. And I think if the sample size was bigger, that Jay Woodcroft would deserve a little more love for the Jack Adams. But I wanted to ask you, Mike, a little more about the Dallas Stars. This is a team that a couple of weeks ago, they seemed fairly comfortable holding on to a wild card spot. And, you know, they still have the two point lead over Vegas, but and they do have a game in hand, but they've lost six of their past 10 games is it time to worry about the Dallas Stars? This team also plays the very dangerous Calgary Flames tonight.
0: I think there's reason to worry about a lot of teams in the West. I mean, if, if you're Vegas, if you're Dallas, if you're even Vancouver, Nashville, like nobody's really guaranteed LA's in that mix as well. They need to win games too. So the West has yet to be won, but Dallas is really a team that I have an eye on with concerns because it's kind of been the same thing all season. They've treaded water. They've been good, bad, but everything with dallas really goes through that top line of robertson pavelski and hints and they've been consistent but it's been the depth behind that top line that if they don't produce Dallas doesn't win and I think Ben and Sagan they've had a great second half to the year but you look beyond them I mean who's there who's really put up numbers not many they've gotten good help from Klingberg it's having high in back has been a big boost but you know Jake Ottinger even his play has fallen off in March and April from what it was early and they've given up several games in the 40 shot against territory that Wedgwood and Ottinger have had to deal with so Dallas has to be better defensively they have to get more help from their depth scoring and I also think. They're not the fastest team. So when they go up to head to head against a club like Edmonton, if they don't control the neutral zone against people like McDavid, it can get ugly. And we saw it less than five minutes into the game. McDavid blows around on the outside and it's in the back of the net on Dallas and their lead and they're down one, nothing.
2: And they do get that tough draw tonight in Calgary. They also play Vegas before the season's up. That's going to be a crucial game overall though. If I have to make a bet, I still think they're going to be okay because the schedule does have some nice favors for them. You get Seattle again. You get Arizona and you get Anaheim. So you get three seller-dweller teams out of their final five games. You got the game in hand. So I think they're going to be okay, but it's going to get interesting down the stretch. Now let's talk about a team that is nowhere near the playoff race, has not been anywhere close pretty much for the whole season. Although I was looking back, the Philadelphia Flyers did start the season 8-4-2, but obviously... They are the team we featured today in the down and out segment because it's been a nightmare of a season for this team. They fell off after that hot start. They've been very nowhere near competitive for most of the season. They trade, of course, their longest tenured captain, Claude Giroux. So I want to ask you, Mike, what do you think in your mind was the number one thing that went wrong for this franchise this year?
0: Well, injuries didn't help it right off the bat. You know, Couturier has been out for a lot of the season. Jimmy Hayes as well. Ryan Ellis was a big acquisition on D that was expected to play a major role. So I think that put Philly behind the eight ball to start with. But, you know, what you really needed was some of the young talent to take a step forward. And and I just don't think that that's happened in Philly. And I'm not sure how much more is coming. Um, they didn't have a first-round draft pick last year. They only have five drafts in 2020. They're missing second-round picks in the next two years. So the Flyers are going to have to build via trade, via free agency, and hope that some of these new acquisitions, some of these new signings, including people like Bobby Brink, who just won an NCAA championship at the University of Denver, Ronnie Atar, defenseman who's offensively minded, they've got to come in strong for this team. But, Matt, more than anything, I think this club needs a fresh voice. They need a whole new coaching staff. They started off a couple of years ago with Elaine Vigneault, Michelle Terry, and Mike Hill. They had three head coaches and it didn't work. And they've been so passive defensively that I just don't think they're built for success. They need a fresh voice. They need somebody totally outside of the realm of the Philadelphia Flyers to come in and lead this team. I think that'll make the biggest difference for them, and especially trying to get that power play going because it was the worst in the league this year.
2: Yeah, and, and you said it defensively. It's a really good point. This team gave up a lot of chances this year. Carter Hart, I think, was largely to blame for what went wrong last year. They actually weren't that bad defensively. This year, it's the opposite. Carter Hart, his play improved a lot after the nightmare last season. But the Flyers, 28th in the league, 5-on-5, five five, expected goals against per 60. He just didn't have any help out there. And like you said, the young guys, Joel Farabee, Morgan Frost, they didn't step forward. And you sort of have this other part of your core that's over 30 years old, right? You have like Cam Atkinson and, and Kevin Hayes. Those guys are getting into their early 30s now as well so you don't really have the prime year stars that are taking over and looking forward you know this team's long-term plan i know the discussion from ownership the the sort of mandate is to stay competitive but i'm a little skeptical of that because if you look at the team's recent draft pick first the first round german rubsov jay o'brien morgan frost nolan patrick of course is gone now Those are a lot of whiffs. And because of that, your trajectory, you haven't really replenished the talent pool to the degree you expected to. You don't have these young prime year stars ready to break out. And next year, this team, 76 million plus committed in cap space already, including $5.1 million to Rasmus Wistelainen. So I just don't know for sure that there's a way out here in the short term. Do you think there's any way this team can be competitive next year?
0: Uh, It's going to be tough. I mean, they're also missing leadership. They've lost their captain, Claude Giroux, left uh, in a trade to Florida. And I think that's a necessary component. They need some creativity. They need help on defense. (laughs) Like Flyers kind of need a lot of things, Matt. And I'm not sure how they pull it off with the cap constraints. And, you know, with really the, the, there's the flexibility that doesn't come with that. There isn't enough of it there. So it's a big challenge for Chuck Fletcher, GM of Flyers.
2: Okay, Mike, it's time to talk Vesna Trophy, a new edition of the blue paint okay mike we're here for another edition of the blue paint delivered by doordash there's that ding dong i love it and we're going to talk Vesna trophy race a couple months ago it seemed like it was Igor Shostakovich to lose now it's a lot more wide open so i want you to break it down for me let's start with your top contenders the elite tier for the Vezina.
0: I think you might as well at this point still give it to Igor Shishirk. And the way things work for the Vezina is that once Je- once the voting committee decides that a goaltender is the guy, by February first. They're the winner. So to me, it's Shosturkin. He's had a couple of shutouts recently. But really, these are the contenders. These are the three goaltenders that I expect to get the bulk of the votes for the Vezina Trophy. So I'm including Jacob Markstrom and UC Soros in that mix. The only knock on Shosturkin to me, and this will keep him out of the heart conversation, is that he's played less games than the other two. If you look at Markstrom and Soros, 61-65 games, that's important. The win totals, Markstrom has nine shutouts on the season, pacing the NHL. And to me, Soros has been just as important to that nashville team as roman yossi i believe these three goaltenders will be the ones that end up with the bulk of the votes just will take the vesna i think running away but don't be surprised if there's a if some of if it's a pretty tightly contested battle for second place
2: For sure. And Shusterkin he does get that save percentage coming back up. It dipped to the low 930s, back up to 936. He's in the driver's seat. But there are still some dark horses out there making noise potentially. Obviously, one of them has been injured recently. But who are your dark horses right now, the next tier
0: down? Yeah, and these are the guys that I think could actually get some votes or maybe even end up higher than expected. And I've got two of those. I think Freddie Anderson to the Hurricanes will get some votes because he's had a strong season, and I believe Darcy Kemper as well. Now, Kemper is interesting because he started off the year cold for Avalanche. It took him a while to get used to the system and the surroundings, and he having—he didn't have much help behind him until almost midway through the season when Pavel François came back and solidified that crease in Colorado. But Kemper has been lights out For the second half of the season to 924 save percentage freddie anderson's been a rock for carolina as well the knock on these two though is that i think people look at it and go well yeah they're playing for two of the best teams in the nhl how good have they been well all the advanced metrics support what anderson and kemper have done their numbers aren't a fluke they've been really good it's just that i don't think they're going to quite get the accolades of who we had in our contenders category of shestirk and markstrom and Soros.
2: There's another tier, the, the unheralded tier, and this one's interesting to me because, you know, historically there's sort of a wins bias for Vesna. but if you sort of strip out the winning element and just take the ability to stop the puck,
0: this guy, I think, deserves more love. And that's Ilya Shister, or Sorry, Elias Sorokin. I've got the two Russians in the New York City area. It's tough to differentiate sometimes. And it, you know why? It's not just because of their names. They actually play very similar to one another. They're both excellent skaters, if you're talking about Shosturkin and Sorokin. Uh, and, and to me... If the new york islanders had won more games this season if they'd been in a playoff race there's no doubt in my mind Sorokin would be in the talk for the vesna uh, again games played has hurt him a little bit he's at 49 but his save percentage his advanced numbers like his save percentage, percentage is at a 927. he's won 25. 25- of the games this year for the Islanders on a team that's only won 35 times and 7 of those have been in shutouts. So dominating performances. This isn't just the Barry Trotz effect. Watch Sorokin. Watch how he moves. Watch how efficient he is in using his goalposts as guidelines and bumpers and being square and the guy's technically strong. I really believe that next season if the Islanders are improved if they're back into playoff contention, you're going to see Elias Sorokin being talked about for the Vezina.
2: It's crazy just to think, too, as a nation, we didn't get to see true best on best in the Olympics, but just the embarrassment of riches that Russia has at the goaltending position. A couple other names I wanted to throw out there, sort of in the unheralded tier because of the fact that they... Face very difficult workloads. Thatcher Demco in Vancouver, Vili Huso in St. Louis. Really high degree of difficulty in terms of chance quality and facing a lot of shots. Both those goaltenders, I think, have been outstanding this year as well. Okay, Mike, that's great. It's going to be exciting to see who wins the award when the time comes. This has been another edition of the blue paint and you see the promo code at the bottom of your screen it's DFODD in Canada DFODDUS in the United States that gets you 25% off and free delivery on your first order mm-hmm. Okay, it's time for the daily face-off inbox question. It's a fun one this week. We now know the NHL draft lottery goes down May 10th. We know there's been a couple rule changes in recent years. Only two teams can win. Teams can't jump up as far as they used to before. But I want to ask you, Mike, let's just let's talk with our hearts here, okay? Who do you think who do you think needs to win the draft lottery the most or maybe who do you want to win the draft lottery? I'm going to let you be biased here and just tell me where your heart is leading you right now. <laughs>
0: Well, I think the Philadelphia Flyers are a team that could really use a first overall pick and they could use some young talent. And I think that would go a long way for them. And I'm not speaking with my heart when I say this pick, but it's the team that I think probably get the most short term effect out of it and really use it would be the San Jose Sharks. I mean, I, I was surprised that they kept hurdle. I thought that that trading him could have brought back another first round pick, a high pick, because they need to restock. They don't have, you know, the young players to me that are difference makers. And so if they could get the first pick, first, first overall pick and get some more production out of their veterans next year, that's a team that to me is treading water. They need something in San Jose to be excited about, because right now that team's just blah, like crazy blah. And you get a first, the first overall pick would really help them. Who's your pick, Matt? Well,
2: again, I'm too nice. I wanted to spread the love to everybody. I think, in terms of true desperation, scorched earth. Of course, the Arizona Coyotes. This is the team that needs it really badly because, of course, they need a face a face of the franchise when they move to Houston. Heyo! But I, I, if Ooh. I'm actually looking at who the most interesting fit is. To me, it's Detroit because if you look at the way the Red Wings are structuring their future, you have Simon Evanson, of course, Mort Sider, probably going to win the Carlton Trophy. Those are your pillars long-term on defense. You have Lucas Raymond, of course, on the wing. You have Sebastian Cosa coming down the pipeline in net. But you need that number two center. All the great teams, all the teams that go deep in the playoffs have the one-two punch at center and the wings have not found it. Doesn't look like it's going to be Joe Valeno. I think that ascension we would have seen more so far. And you need someone to help Dylan Larkin. You need him to be the guy that can be your two-way center, and you need a true elite number one center. So I think Detroit is the team from a hockey standpoint that would be the most interesting fit. If I'm just going to let my heart bleed, I got to I got to give a shout out to Buffalo. I always say this: this is just the best fan base pound for pound. They deserve a winner. They already have the NHL record now, eleven seasons in a row without making the playoffs. And I know people are going to say, well, you got you already got Rasmus Dahlin first overall 2018. You got Owen Power first overall last year. How can you get another one? It's not fair. And I know based on the rules... Jack Eichel went second still, overall. Yeah, Jack Eichel second overall. I, and I believe the Sabres are still eligible under the new rules to win it again. But I just think, yes, yes, it would mean it's unfair. They're loading up, but they need it. And we're finally seeing real progress. I got to see them up close mm-hmm. last week playing the Leafs. They look like a different team under Don Granato. You can, see, you can see real chemistry, real momentum building here. It's something to be excited about. And adding someone like a Shane Wright... To that mix then it's like okay now we really have something and the sabers can get truly excited they've just had a rough go these sabers fans they deserve more so that's that's my pick from my heart hockey standpoint i think the detroit red wings are the team that would be most interesting okay it's time for the daily Faceoff daily betting segment we're going to bring in tyler remchuk and, and tyler how did you do last night i hear you're on a heater my friend
1: It is a heater right now eight and one this week up 7.1 units and I needed it because I was down units on the year coming into this week. We're now up five on the season which is great to see and I like that you were giving some love to the Buffalo Sabres because that's exactly where I'm starting on tonight's slate courtesy of our friends over at points bet Canada 312 bets that's how many I've given out so far this season. Less than 10 of them have been Moneyline underdogs, though. And I love the Sabres in this spot at plus 115, taking on the New Jersey Devils. Sabres have won back-to-back games. Go back to the beginning of March. The Sabres are actually 6-4-1 as a road team as well. I think this is a tremendous spot for a Buffalo team that's been playing some very inspired hockey over the last couple of months. And I'm also taking a player prop in this game, going with a Jeff Skinner assist. That is an incredibly juicy plus 185 payout. This has happened in back-to-back games. He's on a bit of an assist streak here. He's got three apples in his last two games. I love Skinner to pick up an assist. It's risky, plus 185, but you got to risk it to get the biscuit, you know? And uh, plus 115 on the Sabres money line as well. I love that. And then I have two other plays tonight. It's a busy one in the NHL. The St. Louis Blues on the puck line at plus 130 is incredible value, in my opinion. They, they're 9-0-2 so far this month. They've outscored their opposition by an average of 2.27 goals. In those victories, those nine wins, they've covered the puck line in seven of them. They're taking on a Sharks team that has just one win in their last nine games. I love St. Louis, one of the hottest teams in the NHL, to cover the puck line against San Jose. And my final play is a player prop in the Florida-Detroit game. Claude Giroux over half an assist. The guy's on a four-game assist heater. I'm also on a heater, so I can relate to him a little bit. Minus 120, that's a good enough payout. The Panthers should be able to keep their offense rolling against the Red Wings. So Giroux assist, Blues puck line, Skinner assist, Sabres on the money line. Four plays tonight, Matt.
2: I like it, Tyler. I like the swagger that you're showing there as well. You know, risk it for the biscuit. I think I can feel it. I can feel your man on a heater. To me, I like the Blues play, but if you're looking forward, if you're looking at futures, the Blues could be a trap. And you can go to dailyfaceoff.com and read my explanation as to why. This is the luckiest team. This is not the hottest team in the NHL. Under the hood, this is the luckiest team in the NHL. Extremely high save percentage, bailed up by goaltending. They are bleeding scoring chances. Still, they're getting peppered. They're getting outshot, outchanced during all these wins. I'm not saying don't make the bet tonight. But if we're looking forward and we're sort of... Preparing our playoff bets, our futures. Be careful with those blues because they're not playing sound defensive hockey right now. And eventually I do think it could come back to bite them.
1: They only need one more night of being lucky. One more night. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And You're on the
0: That's what St. Louis is. They're they're a great team on the rush. They're a great power play team. And they've got an excellent goal tending from Billy who is So five on five, there's a lot to be desired there.
2: That's right. Well, thank you, Tyler. We're going to move on now, finish it off with a little garbage time for this edition of the show. The Global Series, the NHL announced it returns next season, which is really exciting just from a standpoint of seeing sort of elements of the sporting world return back to normal normal sort of things we haven't seen since pre-COVID. We, we have the National Predators, San Jose Sharks, opening next season in the Czech Republic. And we have the Colorado Avalanche and the Columbus Blue Jackets in Finland. Really exciting. You're going to have Miko Rantanen and Patrick Laine in the same game. So I'm curious, Mike, I know you have some thoughts on this announcement. What does it mean to you in terms of just the overall implications for the league? Well, it's
0: so important to be able to take it on an Worldwide showcase, especially considering now that we haven't had the Olympics and I like it better with the NHL teams doing it, frankly, than than the national teams sometimes because you're bringing your product overseas, you're bringing your brand overseas and the NHL has been very good about trying to grab these games in countries and in cities that feature hometown athletes, like you just said, you know, mentioning, like you could even say Colorado going to Finland. Well, you've got Rantanen. And then uh, some of the games that are taking place in Switzerland, you've got Yossi involved with the Predators, Germany and and Czech Republic now. So that's important. Um, But I think really, and more than anything, it just gives the NHL a chance to do what they do best. And that's show the game on a greater scale. When you can go overseas like what other sport does this this is unique to hockey and we haven't been able to do it since 2016 before or 2019 i apologize before the pandemic so matt i think for the players it's a really cool moment i never had the chance they love doing it um and, and even probably from your perspective i would have to imagine that it just it adds a layer of intrigue
2: it does and it's interesting you know because you do have the nfl for example playing games in london but it's not like there are a bunch of British players on the team, right? It's different when you're going mm-hmm. to these different countries and you actually have players who represent those countries. We know the training camps for the Preds, for example, they're going to be in Switzerland playing an exhibition game as well. So it's a great showcase for Roman Yossi. And I do think this is extremely important for the NHL. It's weird. In previous seasons, I kind of thought, i oh, take her to leave it. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting sideshow. But in a post-COVID world, it means a lot more because you've lost your opportunity to grow the game the past few seasons. The sporting world's... In every different sport, you've been forced to compartmentalize. You haven't been able to travel as much, expand the game, showcase it overseas. And of course, we lose the Olympics, NHL participation this year. So that's another missed opportunity. I know it wasn't a revenue opportunity for the NHL, but it was an exposure opportunity to grow the game and generate interest. So. To me, that makes the Global Series more important than ever. Also, you have the World Cup of Hockey coming in 2024. So you want to get international fans thinking about it again. So I understand the logic. And I'm not someone who is always the most enthusiastic about the games overseas, but I think they've never been more important. So I say good on the NHL for getting back on the horse and getting international games coming back onto the schedule. Well, Mike, it was good to get through so many different topics today. That concludes this episode of the Daily Faceoff Show for April 21st. I want to thank you, Mike, Tyler Ramtreck, our technical producer, Alex Allard. and of course, dailyfaceoff.com has everything you need, NHL news, insight, and analysis. And we'll be back tomorrow at noon Eastern for another show.
0: Thanks for watching the Daily Face Off Show. Make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel to never miss an episode.